Hello Gator Nation and welcome to this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I'm your host Dustin Smith and you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And I am of course joined today by an AllKindsOfWeather.com lead writer and founder Neil Schulman. And you can follow him at AllKindsWeather on Twitter. So Neil, we just had a game versus Vanderbilt, and the Gators did not in any way blow the doors off of them. They were already they already came in as a terrible team. But we did learn a little bit about the Gators in this game. So, Neil, before we dive into all that, how are you? Are you doing all right? I'm good, man. I am relaxing at home after – uh, consec- three consecutive weeks of being on the road, going to Alabama, Tennessee, um, going to Philly to watch um, Dartmouth play at Penn. There's a big connection from Florida on the Dartmouth team. Um, Sammy McCorkle, former Gator defensive back, is now the offensive coordinator. Buddy Tevens, a former Florida assistant under Spurrier, is their head coach. Connor Davis, the kicker, the son of former Gator kicker Judd Davis. Zion Carter, uh, a tight end on Dartmouth, is the son of former Florida standout defensive lineman Kevin Carter. Uh, Jake Allen, the former Florida quarterback signee under McElwain, is now a student coach there. So huge, huge Gator ties to that Dartmouth team. I went over to Philly to check that out. That was fun. Uh, but now it's it's nice to be able to sort of relax for a weekend and you know watch the Gators from the comfort of my TV, watch the Giants later today. Um, when you guys hear this, it'll be yesterday. I hope we get Kadarius Tony involved again like we did last week and let him continue to show why he was a first-round NFL draft pick. Um, last thing before we get into the uh, the real re- real good parts of the show is got to shout out my boy James Houston the fourth at Jackson State on Saturday afternoon gets into the backfield all the time but yesterday or Saturday got his first collegiate touchdown he he blew past the Alabama AM offensive line. Got into the backfield, stripped the ball away from the QB, picked it up, went all the way for the touchdown. I think it was 67 yards. Uh, Got to work on that celebration, but he is in the end zone and into the score sheet for the first time ever as a collegiate athlete. So, James, so proud of you, so happy for you. I know that there's so much more damage you're going to do on the stat sheet, but for you to get that first ever – at a first ever point, first ever points in the college level after you were a running back as a little kid, uh, you know, switch to defense, you don't really get as many chances to score there. But for you to finally get to that score sheet is something so special. I'm so happy for you. And just keep the ball, man. Let's let's keep making some memories there at JSU. I'm going to be down there to watch um, against Bethune-Cookman on Florida's bye week, the 23rd. So I know, I know they'll put on a show for me there too. Um, yeah, got got to get that little that little personal piece of the pie out of the way. Uh, Dustin, how are you, man? Yeah, man, I'm doing pretty good. I always find it funny when we talk about NFL games before the, the main portion of the slate takes place because except for, of course, the Monday night game, all those games would have already been completed. And we can look like fools if we talk about a particular team. So 
you know, hopefully the Giants play well. Um, I'm not by any means a Giants fan, but since you're a fan of the Giants and Kadaris Tony plays, it's always a good to check him out. And, you know, there's not necessarily a rooting interest, but it always uh, gives me a smile to see him do well. Of course, the Giants haven't been doing well as of recent history. So hopefully this season is a season of, of turnaround for them and, and they can uh, win more games and potentially make a run at uh, getting in the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. And and by the way, we're, while we're on the subject of the NFL, another of those generational talents that Florida lost after the 2020 season, Mr. Kyle Pitts finally gets into the end zone for the first time as a pro. Talking about James Houston getting in the end zone for the first time as a collegiate football player, Kyle Pitts does it for the first time as a professional football player for the Atlanta Falcons, who knocked off the Jets in England. I um, think that's going to wrap up our little Gators in the NFL piece for well, this week. Well, yeah, Neil. We don't have any more Gators to talk about because we're recording this before any other game takes place. But, yeah. Well, no, I will say this. Actually, I mean, I'm glad you brought that one up because that uh, upon the recording of this podcast, that's one of the games that's actually complete. So the Falcons beat the Jets uh, 27 to 20. And that Kyle Pitts touchdown early in the game, albeit, was one of the deciding factors in the Falcons being able to win. So, of course, Kyle Pitts is already a difference maker in the NFL. And uh, we sure hope so with, with the amount of um, – with how big his contract was and how early he went and, and how much uh, – How much Florida know, misses him. How much Florida misses him. That's I mean, look, sure. Kimori Gamble and Keon Zipper are, are doing their best, but – I mean, we this this Gator fan base told so many lies this offseason about how you know Tim Brewster is going to mold Gamble and Zip into you know not necessarily the next Kyle Pitts, but we won't miss him. We'll be fine. We'll we'll be able to re- replace him and move on. I, I know it's yeah. a very different offense. I am very very cognizant of the fact that this offense runs the ball more than last year's did. But oh my God, does Florida miss Kyle Pitts right now? That and that's not a knock on Gamble or Zip. That's not a, a shot at them. They're they're just not Kyle Pitts. They're just not the best tight end to ever come through the University of Florida. So, you know, that yeah. we, we we can't all be the best to ever come through the University of Florida. Um, we got yeah. a good show for you all today about the Gators and their game against Vanderbilt with the players that they do have back from last year. Before that, though, quickly got to shout out our sponsors slash partners. As always, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator band to the swamp. We are looking to do at least one. Hopefully, we can do two campaigns in 2022. We're definitely going to do one. So if you would like to help us get a jump start on that, please go to GatorGoodFoundation.com. Link to donate is on the top menu. You can also donate tickets by messaging us at our Twitter handle, the Gator Good, our Instagram handle, at Gator Good Foundation, or message us on Facebook, the Gator Good Foundation there. Or, of course, again, you can go to GatorGoodFoundation.com. Donate button is up there, and you can help us out by donating a small amount to us 
on that platform. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These are the folks that did an amazing job by building the Gator Good Foundation website, by the way. So the proof is in the pudding. They do amazing work. Uh, these folks put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients, whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Don't think there is a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. And two, it's run by a gator. So not only do they, do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a gator who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. Now, that's out of the I hate I, I hate to say that that's out of the way because I, I genuinely love our relationship with both of those organizations. I hate to say it's out of the way to talk about like Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony and of course my guy James Houston. But Dustin, we are a Florida Gators podcast. The Florida Gators did play a game on Saturday that went kind of how we expected it to go. Of course, as always will happen, there are some twists and turns that happened in the game that maybe we didn't predict, but the Gators got the win. We'll, we'll start there. The Gators did win the football game, but it didn't really start out so great. Um, I mean, Florida did score touchdowns on its first two possessions of the game, but from that point on until the end of the half, very little went well. So let's, let, let's start there. Let's talk first half. Did that first half scare you? And, and what did that team look like? If, if it plays like that, how good or bad do you think Florida will be the rest of the year if that is the level of play we get? I mean, I think, I think it's difficult to look at the progression of that and draw any massive conclusions for the rest of the season. First off, Vanderbilt's very bad. I mean, we saw that we saw during the game with, with how inept Vanderbilt was at scoring any moniker of points. I mean, yeah, I mean, Florida did shut them out, but that shutout was quite misleading in the sense that they left at least uh, nine plus seven, at least 16 points on the field that they could have, they could have easily scored. Um, just make your field goals and, you know, hold on to the ball in the end zone. Um, now, as far as the progression, uh, Vanderbilt punted uh, their, their first three possessions and Emory Jones scored a touchdown on his first two possessions. Then of course, the big surprise comes in the entire fan base goes, um, insane when we see Anthony Richardson take the field for the first time on his third on the third series of the game and he goes in and promptly throws an interception before we have time to even finish celebrating the fact that he's finally on the field and Neil to be honest with you I was in the stands I ha I still haven't seen the film on that particular play I know I know you've probably seen that a couple times i'm curious to hear your thoughts what happened on the interception did it look like from 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 what i was seeing 
it looked like a play that just completely fell apart. He probably shouldn't have thrown the ball. What What did you see on that play? Yeah, it, it was it, it was a, a sort of compound error in that two different things went wrong on the play to lead to the interception. It was it was similar to the interception that Emory threw against Alabama, except that that was on a third and ten, and he you know if he uh, if he doesn't throw the ball and at least try to make something happen, it's going to be certain death for the drive because Florida's going to punt and seed the football back to Alabama. It wasn't that way for Anthony Richardson. It wasn't a third and 10 deep in his own territory, but he was the victim of an offensive line that for not the first time didn't do its job. And he was faced with a situation where he has to throw the ball or if he, if he does anything else, like if he tries to take off, or if he sits in the pocket for another three quarters of a second, he's getting sacked. So probably should have not thrown the ball, probably should have just kept it, eaten it, take the sack, maybe try to just lower your shoulder and bull forward so that you can maybe get forward progress for a sack of maybe two fewer yards than if you just get driven backwards. Like, you know, if you're, if you decide to lower your shoulder and try to do an Oklahoma drill with a guy on the field with the football, you can maybe, you know, get a yard and salvage something out of it more than if he just gets sacked and thrown backwards. But yeah, I mean, punting isn't the worst thing in the world. Like, like some, some young quarterbacks and, and not just EJ or AR like quarterbacks in general have to learn punting. Isn't the worst thing in the world. Sometimes you got to understand when the pockets collapsing and the play is about to end one way or another, you, you know, you can't, you can't force things like that. Now, the pressure wasn't as in his face as it was for Emery on that pick against Alabama. He wasn't in the process of getting hit as he began his motion. The hit came mid-motion, so I don't blame him as much, but he should have sensed that the pocket was in the process of collapsing more than he did. And the offensive line... I mean, again, because that, that's a given. I'm not even spending a lot of time on that because we know that that's a problem, that that's been an intermittent problem this year. And the intermittent problem with the line this year follows two consecutive years where it was also an intermittent problem and, and just downright terrible in run blocking. So the offensive line having problems is not exactly a fresh observation. So at this point, I refuse to believe that that's something that's actually fixable on a consistent basis, they can do it in spots for sure. Like they have had good games. They have had good quarters, even in games they work at them. I thought they were okay on the first drive or two against Kentucky. Like they can clearly do it in spots, but it it just seems that the rest of the year, we're going to have to go forward knowing that the offensive line is, I mean, it's susceptible to just imploding. Like, I I can't go into the Georgia game thinking, yeah, we're going to be fine. No, we're not, because the line is is giving up plays like that against Vanderbilt and in spots against you know Alabama and Tennessee and Kentucky. So it's just going to be the way it is. But AR has to know not to do that. Yeah, Neil, and I think it. I think the discussion that we're having concerning that particular play, I think it reveals an issue that 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 we've we've seen in the last. Uh, the last two games specifically, you, you, and that's the, the offensive line play. I know we've had some injuries. I know um, Garage didn't play for, for, uh, for the entirety of the game um, against Vanderbilt. Yeah, Kingsley too. Not to mention Kingsley, who 
who uh, got hurt. We have to discuss this for, for at least a few minutes. I mean, this offensive line came into this season, including their amazing performance against Alabama, um, putting on a show as one of the best run offensive lines in the country. I mean, you look at the other, at the other teams that were in the lead in front of Gators as far as uh, yards per game and yards per rush. You know, Army and, and Navy, they don't play the same competition that Florida does. Um, and now we look awful. I mean, we did run for 5.3 yards per carry, but that's still oh, well against Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Against Vanderbilt, Florida ran 5.3 yards per carry. But, Neil, that's, in my opinion, that's terrible. I mean, we did have a couple explosive plays. Um, I, I loved the Naquan Wright 34-yard uh, touchdown run. Or not, he didn't actually score a touchdown. I loved the Naquan Wright 34-yard uh, um, run that, that was explosive. But other than that, the most explosive run was from Jeremy Crawshaw. And, of course, we'll talk about the special teams in just a few minutes. But when your second longest run of the game against a very inept run defense in, in, in Vanderbilt, I, I mean, they, they were not good. I mean, Vanderbilt gives up in excess of, of six yards per carry. They, I mean, I mean they, they, they literally rank, they literally rank 116th out of 130 teams coming into the game, giving up over 200 yards per game on the ground. So for the Gators to, to not be explosive, to the, for the Gators to come under that, and, and it's not like they didn't run the ball a ton. You know, if this was, if this was a game plan where Florida was just trying to throw the ball and, and, uh, and have Emory, Emory um, get, get practice in throwing the ball because we're definitely going to need – to be more effective in the passing game against the next two teams that Florida plays. I understand. And yeah, that was probably part of the game in one way, shape or form, but that's not the point. We still ran the ball 34 times. There's no reason why in running the ball 34 times that we shouldn't have run the ball for over 300 yards. I mean, and it all comes back to the offensive line. So Neil, I have to ask you, what, what do you think about this offensive line as it stands right now, and what do we have to do to come back to the form that we saw in the first three games? Yeah, I'm starting to think that the Alabama game was more an indictment of Alabama's front seven than it was an endorsement of Florida's offensive line, which, by the way, is, is good. I think that this is a an, an above-average to good offensive line for sure. It's not an elite one like we thought it was because we went toe-to-toe with Big Bad Bama and beat them in the trenches. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I want to see how we do against LSU. I want to see how we do in a sort of redemption game on, in, on the road. I mean, obviously redemption for Marco Wilson being a moron, but redemption in the sense that the last time we went on the road, we didn't look very good on the offensive line because the noise spooked us out. And now we're going to a crowd that's time and a half the size. So I want to see how we look in that atmosphere when it's an opponent that we have no reason to not respect and, you know, not necessarily fear, but know is going to take us, very seriously the way that we should with them. So let's see how we do against LSU. And then we could talk about that heading into the Georgia game. 
Um, so yeah, just I'm just leaving that as a question mark for right now. Um, yeah. But let's let's talk about our coach, uh, Dustin. Let, let's talk about the guy that didn't really endear himself too well to Gator fans for the way that he acted in the immediate aftermath of the Kentucky game. Let's talk about how he acted at halftime against Vanderbilt and even after the game against Vanderbilt. Yeah. So again, this is not something that I had the chance to see live and in person or live and in color. Like, Oh, that's did. right. You were at the let game. Me, let me, let me, let me reset. So, so Neil, I was at the game. So there was, there was comments that were made by Dan Mullen and I, I did hear snippets and, and commentary on it, but since you were watching the comments live and in color on TV as it came before your eyes with Dan Mullen and the, uh, the, the kind lady from, from SAC Network, um, wh- what did that exchange look like? What, 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 oh. I, I heard Dan Mullen was upset, but what did he say? Okay, For, first, the, um, the body language and the expression of Dan Mullen I, I do feel bad for Taylor Davis, the woman who is interviewing him. Dan Mullen, to me, looked like he wanted to shatter that woman's nose. He he was just snorting flames out of his mouth. And you can see before he went over to talk to her, he was screaming at his quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, he was giving some of his assistance. He was... Oh, All right, so so Taylor Davis asked him about his quarterback play, what he said to his quarterbacks. Mullen's response, yeah, play better. Taylor Davis goes, okay, fair enough. Uh, she talks about the defense, makes a couple of good points about the defense, and says, Dan, uh, so what do you think about your defense's performance? Awful. <laughs> and then just oh, walks up. Like, he, he – he took like the the implication to me was, and I tweeted this out, and, and it rings even more true the more I watch it. Mullen seemed like he was personally offended that he only had a ten minute window to just lose his mind on his players in the locker room at halftime, and that this this idiot lady is ruining that chance, and she's depriving him of thirty seconds of that ten minute window by daring to ask him stupid and inane questions. Like it's not it's not her fault. Like she has to. She's obligated to do that for to get her paycheck. But Mullen just looked like he wanted to haul off and belt her in the nose. Like he was as mad as I've ever seen him in the midst of a game that was not competitive. Like I've I've seen him mad before, like during LSU in eighteen and and, and Auburn in nineteen. Like there were tense moments in those games. I saw him mad in those games. Like we saw him lose his mind on Todd Grantham against Kentucky, but that was a close game for relatively speaking. Like it was 10, seven at that point, it was a competitive game against a team that he knew could beat him in theory. So that made sense. I've never seen him this upset against a team that really had no chance to beat him. And it was refreshing after the way he acted against Kentucky, because that's the Dan Mullen that goes, if you want to thumb wrestle me, come up here and I'm going to beat your ass. I'm going to beat your ass. Like that's the Dan Mullen that endeared himself to us after the Missouri loss in 2018. And we've seen in spots, but we really needed to make a reappearance after that Kentucky disaster. And he did. So I, I loved it. I just want to see him continue to act like that moving forward. Yeah, Neil, come on. 
I, I know last week we were we were in very heated discussion um, about how badly we wanted to see Dan Mullen have this attitude. He, he, he finally has it. And I, I hate that it, that it took a, a loss to Kentucky, which now doesn't necessarily look like the awful team that we thought they were a couple weeks ago, which, uh, you know, partly we thought that because they struggled with Chattanooga. I think that's the, the team they struggled with. Um, and then, of course, Kentucky goes in, uh, well, at home, of course, and, and, and they, uh, they beat LSU by 21. And we'll, we'll talk about that team in, in, in just a few days. As By the way, it just up. broke as it literally just broke. Florida is an eleven-point favorite against LSU on the road. Oh my! Yeah, that's a lot. Well, a I lot. like the light. Like Dustin just said, we'll talk about that later in the week. But oh my, that is quite a spread. Yeah, especially on the road. I could understand that being in the swamp, but it is not in the swamp. It's in a place that is swampy, but not the swamp. So we'll talk about that later in the week. Um, but yeah, so Neil, just getting back to the discussion about Mullen, he needs to have that attitude. If, if Florida's going to have any shot at winning championships, if Florida's going to have any shot at earning respect from the highest and most talented recruits in the country, we need to have a championship mentality. And a championship mentality is a mentality that begins with having a high expectation and not deviating from that expectation ever. So Florida should beat the living daylights out of Vanderbilt. Florida should dominate Vanderbilt on the lines of scrimmage. There is no excuse that a team goes into halftime with yardage totals that are almost even. I mean, both Vanderbilt literally, they were either right at 200 yards of offense or somewhere plus or minus five yards of 200 going to halftime. There's literally no excuse for that. There's no excuse why one of the worst teams in the country should put any yardage, especially from our discussion that we had about their game against uh, Georgia, where I believe the quarterback only threw eight yards in that game. Yeah, two for nine for eight yards. And they finished the game as, as a team as a team, they finished with 77 yards. And a lot of that was late in the game. Um, I mean, look, we got to give a shout out though to Jason Marshall, because that is the only reason why Florida covered the spread and pitched a shutout. And and a 42-0 does seem exponentially better than 42-7. Well, I mean, mathematically speaking, it is because like you said on the pod, you can't divide by zero. You get an error message on your calculator if you try. Uh, but like 42-7 seems a little better. Like I like remember the 2017 Georgia game where we lost 42-7 because we scored in the last second. Think about how miserable we would have been if it was 42-0. Like the shutout streak would have been gone. It, it would have just been such another, uh, an extra level or two of misery if we gotten shut out of that game. Jason Marshall helped us avoid that. Yeah. With a, with a really, really big time pass breakup. It was initially called a touchdown. It looked like a touchdown and on the first couple of looks, but then comes a very, a very good angle 
of a replay that shows he just dislodges the ball at the last second. That's an NFL play from a true freshman. So we, we can talk about the yardage discrepancy or, or the, the, the discrepancy that should have been that was not. But, I mean, that's a big-time play, Dustin. And that really gives me something positive to look at on our defense that didn't really give us a lot of them on Saturday. Yes. Yeah, I was definitely very impressed with Marshall, um, especially since Kyrie Elam still continues to be out with a nagging injury. I think that he's definitely going to be absolutely necessary in the next two games. So hopefully, hopefully we do get him back. Um, my sneaky suspicion is that Kyrie would have been ready um, if they felt like they needed him, considering the game was against Vanderbilt. I think that's part of the reason why he was held out. Does that sound about right to you, Neil? Yeah, it's probably true. Okay. So, yeah. Um, well, Mullen did lose his mind at halftime. Um, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in the uh, in the locker room. Um, the irony is for that particular for this particular game, I was actually in the south end zone. Um, so I'll I say this, wonder- Dustin. It- all time, all time ugly. I'm, yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying nothing more than that. Um, I've, I've been fed a few of his quotes from the halftime tirade. All time bad. All time ugly. Nothing, you know, nothing. I mean, you know, because in this day and age, you got to always put this out there. That you know, there is nothing racist. There is nothing like inappropriate of that nature. You know, nothing like cancelable. Nothing, nothing like that. Just all time nasty. And, and and deservedly so for the way that the team played. Nothing um you know unwarranted. It was all about football. You know, no, no personal attack, no, nothing like that. Nothing that's gonna get him in trouble. But I I mean it was yeah, I'll I'll just leave it at that. Wow. So look at Neil with the inside information. Um I will I will say this. Anytime I'm and I hate to bring this name up, but anytime I, I break down the uh, the absolute anger level of a coach. Uh, I always go back to uh, the Jim McElwain tirade on Calvin Taylor after the uh, the uncalled for celebration in the end zone. That's what you that, go for? Yeah. Oh, dude, I I go to, I go to Will Muschamp on Clay Burton against Georgia in 2012. <laughs> oh yes, man. <laughs> if not that, then the adversity on the field. It's always I mean, Mac McElwain <laughs> lost his shit, but he, it doesn't touch either of those Muschamp moments. <laughs> I know. I guess. I guess for McElwain, he was always uh, he was always very nonchalant. Like, oh, that that's pretty neat, you know. Uh, put scoring scoring twenty four on uh, on a on a bad Vanderbilt team. That's pretty neat. And then to go from that to an absolute uh, evisceration of Calvin Taylor in the sideline. Well, that was um, just his second game of his career in Gainesville. After that, he kind of got a negative reaction, and that was the end of it. Yeah, never true. did anything like that again. No, and it's probably the beginning of the end for him. Um, anyway, so the skater team comes back, and they're obviously on fire. And they come, and they score um, on back-to-back-to-back drives to go from 21 to nothing to 42 to nothing. Yep, and uh, shout-out to a punter, because without that, Florida's first drive ends in another punt. Yeah, 
I like that call, though. I have to say, it, it does a little bit reek of desperation, but you know what? It, 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 he kind of should have done something that reeked of desperation at that point because Florida was not playing well and had a very misleading 21 nothing lead over a team that they were favored to beat by about twice that and eventually did. But, I mean, think about the other times that Mullins called for fake punts. He did, he did it once just to be a douche and, and just mess with FSU's heads when it was up 40-17. to 17. But every other time he's called for a fake punt, most notably like against Miami in 2019, it, it kind of reeked of desperation, but that was the water that Florida was sort of treading at that point. Like that was where the Gators sat. And, and you know, then there was Vanderbilt in 2018 too. Florida was in deep trouble in that game when he did that to sort of wake them up there. And it paid off. Like it sparked the Gators to three straight touchdowns in the third quarter, three straight drives. Whatever semblance of doubt there was about the game's outcome was then eradicated. Um, and, and Florida got the result that they should have gotten. But, I mean, Dustin, a- along the way, because it's it, it, it it's kind of hard to really take the film against Vanderbilt too seriously. For one thing, there, there are holes, there are seams in the defense that aren't going to be there against, forget Georgia, they won't be there against LSU, at least not on a consistent basis. Like, you're not going to have Damian Pierce open on a – on a, on a, I don't even know if you call it a seam route because there's no one there. It's like a, a route on air, like a straight fly route between the hash marks. That's not going to be there against SEC opponents on a consistent basis. But with with that you know, grain of salt taken here, what did you take away from the way Florida played after that moment that Mullen had with Taylor Davis? I, for one, think the Gators were a little bit more disciplined. Um, now. I, not that they necessarily needed to because of how well they played in that, in that second half, but if I'm not mistaken, they were 0 for 4 on third down. So that aside, I felt they played more discipline. There were certainly less penalties in that, in that, uh, that second half, um, especially in, in the, that period of time in the third quarter where the game was still important. The reason why I say that is, yeah, we, it was 21 to nothing going into half. There was literally no reason that Vanderbilt had any chance to come back. But the game was still, it was still, you, you were still needing to play starters. You were still needing to play, um, you know, your A game. And in those first three drives, Florida went down the field and scored three consecutive touchdowns. Um, the first drive, six plays, 79 yards, um, touchdown. The next drive, two plays for 72 yards, touchdown. And the first one was a 47-yard uh, touchdown or for the, a 47-yard um, reception by Jacob Copeland. And then Emory goes to him again, and it is a – 25-yard touchdown uh, by Copeland, but a lot of that was done by Copeland. I mean, Copeland looked great on that particular drive. And he and and from his catches in that drive, he ended up becoming the, the leading receiver at yards, also in, in receptions at five catches. I believe he also had uh, 79 yards 
on the on the day. Um, and then, of course, you have the third and final touchdown drive of the game. There was a three-play, uh, 30-yard touchdown drive that was um, capped by a uh, touchdown run by Damian Pierce, who continues to uh, build on his total as he leads the team in rushing touchdowns. Um, and they look pretty good. The, the question is, I'm not sure it's as much a tale of two halves. Um, well, defense, it was certainly a tale of two halves. But offensively, it wasn't so much a tale of two halves as much as it was a tale of two personalities. This team cannot, cannot be at a place where they can pick and choose what personality they are. What I mean by that is they can't simply come into games and walk up to the line of scrimmage and be like, oh, we're going to be okay. You know, we're, we're not going to blow off the line of scrimmage. We're not going to make plays. Mistakes are fine. You know, I think that play was called, but I think I'm going to do my own thing. No, you can't do that. When you're, when you're playing for the Florida Gators, you know what your play call is, and you go do it. If you're an offensive lineman, if you're a guard, and you need to pull around and, and go to the left and, 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 and knock out a defensive end to make room for a quarterback run or, or a quarterback power or a, or, or, a, um, or, or, or a read option or something, then go do it. Go make your play and go do it with, with, with effort, relentless effort as this, as this team likes to tell. And that needs to be the, the, the exclusive attitude of this team because when, when, when the Gators do that, they can score on anybody. But when they don't, they look like crap. And there are some possessions uh, in this game where, where the Gators flat out look like crap. We can't pick and choose our approach to a specific series. We have to play with everything we've got, every, every, every chance we have the opportunity. We need to play with, 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 with relentless effort. And it was great to finally see the Gators do that coming into the, the third quarter um, against Vanderbilt. I'm glad you brought that up because it, it is great to see a team that played like that on more than one drive in a row. And it, you're going to need to see it more than just, you know, a, a half in a row before Florida shut it down in the second and you know, the second half of the third quarter. But Florida's going to need to play like that consistently if they want to win games like LSU, like Georgia, like FSU, who, by the way, don't look now, but they've just beaten two ACC teams in a row. Not great teams, but, I mean, they're a, they're a much better team now than they were a month ago when they lost to Jacksonville State. So if we decide to F around against them, we might lose that one too. So, I mean, that's, that's the, thing, the thing that gets me. You can't just pick and choose when you want to play well because I would have thought that LSU last year at home on senior night at night would have been a game that we would have taken seriously and played with 100% effort the whole way through. It didn't happen. So, yeah, let's let's make that a lifestyle. Let's make that a way of life. Um, but you know what, Dustin? Because we didn't do that on Saturday, we didn't make it a way of life until the, the third quarter. That's going to impact our final word, isn't it? It's going to it's going to hurt those grades a bit. Yes, but before we get to that, I, I do want to discuss one quick topic. I mean, I mean, quick. We have to take a look at the dichotomy of Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Of course, as we were talking about earlier, 
when Anthony Richardson came on for that third drive, the entire stadium went wild. And then he promptly throws an interception and AR-15 doesn't have the explosive play that we all thought he probably, we were all expecting in, the, in this particular matchup. I mean, pretty much every fan that, that every fan and analyst that studied the game had, had a hunch that AR-15 would have significant snaps and, and, uh, I love how we're we're um, interchanging the name of a person with uh, the name of a gun um, in, in discussing. Uh, but anyway, so Anthony Richardson does not have uh, the game that we expected. And you know, just to just to go through his stats, I mean, through the air, he has four for six for only twenty five yards with a completion uh, rate or is four point two yards per completion. Um, one interception, of course, and then on the ground, which was even more surprising, he was he ran the ball five times, only achieved eleven yards, and that's an average of of two point two yards per carry. That was very surprising to see, if if I could be frank with you. On the other side, Emory Jones continues to improve. I mean, he threw 22 passes, completed 14 of them, throws the ball for 273 yards, a, a season high, I believe a career high, actually, <laughs> considering he's, this is his first season starting. And, the, I mean, look, every time we talk about quarterbacks, a stat that I always bring up is the yards per throw. And Emory Jones was 12.4 yards per throw. Now, I know that was aided by a couple explosive uh, touchdown or the, the, uh, the Damien Pierce 61-yard um, touchdown. Um, also, Jacob Copeland had a few explosive plays en route to his uh, touchdown. Um, but he threw the ball well, and he did have that one pick, but he threw four touchdowns. And, and I mean, Neil, I know we've been going back and forth on Emory Jones. I know Football aside, both you and I are incredible Emory Jones fans. We love Emory Jones as a person. But Neil, real quick, I just want to hear you hear you discuss what you've seen from Emory Jones and how he's improved as our quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he's playing, generally speaking, he's playing smarter. He's limiting the damage on plays that, that are going to be losses. Like, he's not throwing balls in the triple coverage. He's not, you know, forcing balls that shouldn't be thrown. He did throw an interception because he threw a ball sort of behind Justin Shorter that Shorter tipped. I would have liked to have seen him put some touch on that throw to Rick Wells early in the game and said he fired it and it, because it wasn't perfectly accurate, which, which by the way, is one of those things that like on the film looks kind of like it's just a bad throw by Jones. But in reality, Rick Wells was not running full speed when Emory Jones thought he was. So that's one of those things where, you know, the film doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. There's more to it than just meets the eye. Ideally, you would have liked to have seen him put a little bit of touch on that ball, put a little air on it, let his receiver go and get it regardless of how fast he is or is not running. But I mean, Jones is definitely playing better football than he was against FAU and USF. So I, I like to see how he does, like I said before, again, 
Vanderbilt isn't going to tell me anything. There, there are holes in that defense of Vanderbilt that aren't going to be there against LSU. I'd like to see how he does against LSU and Georgia before I sing his praises too much, but he did look pretty, you know, keep it respectful, keep it real. He did look pretty bad against FAU and USF. And now a month later, when you put an inferior opponent in front of him, he looks much better against that bad level of competition. So good sign for sure, but I would like to see how he does in Death Valley and then in Jacksonville before I can really say he's turned a corner. And as for AR-15, well, suffice to say that he is indeed human. He is indeed capable of making mistakes. I had said before, I'll say it again, I do believe he is the future of this program, but I also believe now more firmly than ever that this is Emory Jones's team, Emory Jones's turn, and Emory Jones's time. Yeah, Neil, I think that I think that Emory Jones is definitely a player that that is uh, that needs to continue to improve. I think that if we have if we're going to have any shot at beating Georgia, I think he he definitely needs to be more consistent. We can't talk about that throw um, in the corner of the end zone to to Whitmore enough. I mean that throw was thrown in the perfect spot he, he threw on the run um that was gorgeous if he continues to to make plays like that we we do have a shot and it's an outside shot but we do have a shot at beating georgia right um, but see, here's the thing that's that's one throw that's a great throw he made a great throw like that against usf too there were other things against usf he did that were not good and when you take the good with the bad and you average them out, they all count. You can't just selectively pick and choose which throws or which reads he makes that are going to be part of your analysis of him and throw the others out. You know, he does make those incredible plays, but when he makes the bad plays along with him, the result is he's got to get better. So it's good to see that he can still make those incredible throws. That throw to Whittemore off balance sort of backpedaling in the corner of the end zone where there's a there's pretty good coverage on him and then there's the sideline on the other side so there's a really small window and he fits it in perfectly it's a beautiful throw but no one or two throws in a game is going to define him as a qb so i'd like to see the sum of his tape over the course of a game continue to get better from week to week so that throw was gorgeous i always knew that he was capable of making a throw or two like that each game. I'm not concerned about that. I want to see how he handles the other 60, 70 plays that he takes to snap each game. Yes. Well, Neil, certainly this is a game that he'll build confidence moving forward into the coming weeks as we reach the, uh, the two-game gauntlet uh, that is um, the, the meat, I should say, of this SEC season. So, Neil – we we've uh, we finally hit that that moment in time. We're let's do the final word. Well, let's do it. Yeah, uh, let's go. Like we mentioned, the the first half is going to damage those grades pretty significantly. But let's start with the play of the game. Dustin, you first. What was your play of the game? So my play of the game, and and uh, I'm really surprised you had me go first because I feel like I'm going to steal the one you were going to do. But it has to be the 61 yard touchdown run by Damian Pierce. And let me just say this. It was a throw um, from, from memory. <laughs> yes. It's a touchdown throw. It's a long run by him as well, but he, uh, he threw the ball. It was a beautiful throw. 
beautiful catch, beautiful um, run, run from that point to the end zone. Um, but let me, let me just say this. So uh, I had some binoculars so I could study the, the game a little better. Um, I was jumping up and down so hard that the binoculars literally fell uh, off my neck and hit the ground. It was hilarious. So that was uh, quite the celebratory um, experience to see us have explosive plays because you, know, you know how much, especially given the background that we discussed so eloquently in our last pod, um, how much I love explosive plays. And that was definitely one that did not disappoint. Okay, fair enough. You you got to get with my guy James Houston and teach him how to celebrate, man. He's he, he. I mean, all he does is when he scores, he just like puts his arms up like he just crossed the tape first in an Olympic sprint, and he got to do a little more than that. First ever yeah. touchdown. You gotta you gotta get with him and teach him more. Yeah, let's um, do it. Yeah, um, play of the game is gonna be the fake punt from Jeremy Crawshaw. I, that, I was shocked that you didn't pick that one because that was the one that really jolted the Gators awake. I mean, without that Florida punts and it's 21, nothing for even longer of the game, as opposed to just at halftime, it's 21, nothing with Vanderbilt getting the ball with a few minutes into the third quarter. But instead Mullen dials it up at the right time. Vanderbilt is not expecting it takes off down the left sideline and he gets a big gain. I mean, it's, it's not even such a well blocked for play. It's, it's Crawshaw's speed. I didn't, no one way or another how fast it was there's not really a lot of 40 times on punters from australia but he he looked pretty fast on that so props to to crawshaw for for running those those wind sprints in the heat of the australian uh desert i guess and um, no there's not a desert where he lives but you know props props to crawshaw for the speed props to, to mullen for the call and you know, props to the team for really responding well after that and, and doing what they should have done with Vanderbilt from that point on. So that was my play of the game. Play year of the game is going to be a little more interesting. Um, Dustin, I have a feeling we're going to pick the same player, but I'll let you go first again. Who do you think? Considering we're going to pick the same player, um, I'll just uh, give the name and then sit back and listen to your analysis. So I got to go with Emory Jones. Got to go with Emory Jones. No, we did not pick the same player. I'm wow. a little surprised. Uh, Jason Marshall. I mean, it, it's not even – and Trey Dean gets a, a honorable mention because he was everywhere with two PBUs and, and a pick. But Jason Marshall, true freshman, coming out there and making big plays for the Gators, like a little more quietly so than Trey Dean. But Trey Dean – we also kind of expected to have big performances like, you know, cause he was the one walking around with the handcuffs in practice throughout the spring. He was the one that had the pick against Alabama and got hit in the head by John Mechie by Alabama. And, and from that moment on, he had a sort of chip on the shoulder for a big senior season. He's done it before. So we, we kind of knew that that was going to happen. We're proud of him. We're very, very happy for him nonetheless, but we kind of expected that Marshall was the one that I don't, know if a lot of Gator fans expected to be this active this early. I mean, certainly everyone who's seen his tape knows what he's capable of. I mean, people see him and they think, yeah, he's going to be just fine taking over when Kyrie Elam leaves, but Mullen doesn't really play a ton of true freshmen. So when he does and they play well, it's kind of hard for me to go anywhere other than them 
Uh, I mean, that that PBU in the end zone to keep the shutout, to keep the cover for Florida, which is something the Gators have not done against inferior opponents all season and really throughout much of Mullen's tenure. So, you know, if you like to bet on Florida, he helped you out that way. But really, Jason Marshall played a great game overall. He didn't get beat deep. Again, Vanderbilt doesn't have the receivers to beat him deep, but he go, – go watch the film. He's aggressive. He doesn't – he doesn't allow too much separation on, on any real play. Uh, I mean, that's designed to be a pass. I mean, on some running plays, they'll sort of come up. But, yeah, just just a great game of tape from Jason Marshall for me. So he has to be my player of the game. You want to make a case for EJ? Yeah, yeah, just real quick. I mean, we already went through the stats, but I just – we so here's the context. We know that, at least based on what we saw against Vanderbilt, we know that – Anthony Richardson, of course, has a long way to go. Um, definitely has a very high ceiling, but I gotta, I gotta trust Dan Mullen that Embry Jones is not only the guy because of Dan Mullen's stubbornness and loyalty, but he's the guy that gives the Gators the best chance to win. And if that's the case, then there are some things I needed to see from Embry Jones, and I saw it. He made throws. It wasn't just. Uh, little hitches and stuff that, that were completed. Um, he threw a ball to Damian Pierce, and I joked that it was a run because, I mean, the, the most exciting part of that play was the, 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 the running aspect of it. But Emory did make a throw, a throw that previously we would see be either overthrown or intercepted or not thrown at all because the wide-open scene was missed. But he actually threw it. And it paid dividends, not only with the score, but with Emory's confidence. So that's why I got to go with Emory as the, the player of the game. But in your defense, Neil, I think, I think Jason Marshall played wonderful in that game. And I think, I think it's going to be a testament for how much of an impact he has, not only this year, but for the remainder of his career at the University of Florida. We always have a headliner at corner. Um, and I believe he's that next guy. And uh, I can't wait to have Kair come back because against the teeth of our defense, or the, the teeth of our schedule, I should say, our defense is going to have Kair Elam, um, a, a, a preseason All-SEC corner, uh, alongside All-American. All, all You're right. So a preseason All-American corner um, on one side, and on the other we'll, we'll likely have potentially a freshman All-SEC player in Jason Marshall. So with that said, um, let's do our grades. And since, Neil, so you so kindly allow me to go first on each of the first two, let's uh, have you do the grades first. Um, gnashing my teeth, this one. Um, so as has been the case for the last few games, a tale of two halves means that there should be two grades because they're very different performances. But over the course of a semester, as we are using a school analogy, you can't just give two grades, one for the first half, one for the second. You average them together. So the sum of those 60 minutes of game action is going to result in some pretty average grades for the Gators. So offense, I give a C plus two. I would have liked to have seen the Gators do anything right between the first two drives of the half 
and the last drive of the half. I'm not really a fan of watching AR-15 get pressured right up the middle like that. I'm also not a fan of seeing him throw a ball like that that he knows is he's about to get hit on. So I, I shouldn't say he should he should know he's about to get hit on, but he should have felt the pressure before he threw the ball. He should have at least known it was going to happen. So I don't know. I would have liked to have not seen that. I would have liked to have seen the offensive line be more consistent in in its domination of the trenches against a team it should have dominated against. Uh, but then you know the second half they did what they were supposed to do. I, I can't fault them for the fact that Vanderbilt's defense sucks. It, you know, it's one of the worst statistical defenses in the SEC for a reason. And the tape more than backs it up. The holes and the seams that aren't going to be there against Georgia and LSU are definitely there against Vanderbilt, and we took advantage of them. So they get a check for that. You can't give them an A for that, but I'll I'll give them a C-plus for the day because they did what they were supposed to do overall. And on that same note, defense gets a C-plus because – they didn't do great. They let Vanderbilt get a lot of yards in that first half. Joseph Bulovas missed not one, not two, three chip shot field goals. And it took a tremendous play at the very last nanosecond by Marshall to keep Vanderbilt from tacking another seven on the board or six if Bulovas missed another kick. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vanderbilt should have scored in the teens. And against a team that Georgia shut out with ease and held at 77 yards of total offense, that's just not good enough. So we did get the shutout, granted because Vanderbilt helped us, but we did do much better in the second half than we did in the first. So for that reason, I'll give them a C-plus because they they bounced back. Uh, they took Mullen's awful comment to heart, and they, they played better. I like seeing Daquan Newkirk get that pick. Garbon Dexter, Brenton Cox were everywhere the second half, especially. So I, I was I will give them a C plus for that. Um, special teams <sighs> hard to evaluate. Um, the, the the fake punt to me is more of a more a coaching thing for Mullen. You know, that's gonna more help him than it's gonna help special teams. Um, we didn't really do anything terrible on special teams. We didn't kick off out of bounds, which is one of the things I always look for. We didn't snap the ball over the punter's head or anything. We didn't you know, no, no, no catastrophes happened, which is really the main thing I look for. So, um, and, and we didn't hurt ourselves in, by missing any kicks or anything. So I'll give them a B. I'll give them a check grade for that. And coaching Mullen gets an A. It, it's not his fault that the offensive line picks and chooses when to, to block. I mean, I guess it sort of is because, you know, John Hevesy, is a guy that's taking a good bit of flack and he's not getting a lot of production out of them. So I don't know uh, to, to be determined as the season goes along, but the fake punt and the halftime tirade obviously worked. I mean, he, he went into the halftime locker room and, and he ripped them apart, which he should have done. He, he absolutely should have. It was nice to see that fire from him. It's nice to see smoke coming out of his ears after a performance that was not acceptable and the way that Mullen acted last week in the immediate wake of that unacceptable performance was additionally unacceptable to a lot of Gator fans out there. So what his, what his change of attitude told me was that we're going to play differently and the Gators did. So that's coaching. And the fact that Emory Jones is looking better, 
than he did against bad opponents the first two weeks of the year. That's coaching. Maybe not even on Saturday, but throughout the week. So that all counts. And then the fake punt, of course, on top of that, dialed up at the right time, it works. So, yeah, A for coaching. So overall, 82. That's a B minus grade. It's not, you know, they, they, they cleared that passing bar with relative ease. They didn't get an A. They, they didn't ace the exam, but they, they passed it fairly comfortably. Uh, definitely a lot to be desired in the first half. Um, you know, they left some, some points out there, both in terms of the scoreboard against Vanderbilt and then the, the zero to a hundred grade that, that the teacher assigns. They left some points out there, but overall they did their job. So 82 for me. How about you? Well, Neil, before we go into our into my particular grade segment, I just want to give a 30-second master class on covering the spread. So Florida, of course, covered the spread, which was absurdly high at 39 points. Where does that spread come from? Well, um, we call it Vegas. I'm not sure where the computer is located. It might, it might be located somewhere in, in uh, Nevada. Um, anyhow, there, there's a supercomputer that attempts to simulate thousands of outcomes for a particular game. And then it takes the, the difference between one team's score and the opponent's score, and it comes out with an average, or it comes out with an average of all of the possible outcomes of that particular game. And it's that average that is set as the spread for that particular game. So the average game for the Gators uh, would put the Gators winning by about 39 points. Of course, they shut out Vanderbilt, and they ended up scoring 42. So they, they covered the spread, and they, they went above that. So I, I, I have to agree with you. The Gators were above average, um, but also we have to understand context. If the Gators had this type of performance – against a better team in the SEC. Like if the Gators had had beaten Tennessee, which, which we now know is one of the more explosive teams in the SEC, if the Gators beat Tennessee 42 to nothing, that would be incredible. If the Gators, not going to happen, but if the Gators beat LSU 42 to nothing at LSU, that would be incredible. Um, if the Gators uh, have that type of performance against any decent team, I would say that's pretty stellar. But again, we're talking about one of the worst teams in the country, a team that is uh, very familiar with being shut out. Georgia beat them 62 to nothing. So we were, we did beat Vanderbilt at home like Georgia did, but we also um, defeated them with less points. So as far as offense, um, I would have to give them a, a, a B minus. I fully expected Florida to run all over Vanderbilt, and I was slightly disappointed that we didn't we didn't run for that explosiveness. Now, like we talked about earlier, I did like some of the explosive plays, so they get at least a, a B, but only that, so B minus. As far as defense, anytime you're shutting a team out, you're you're doing something good. Now. That first half has to count for something. Giving up 200 yards on the ground um, during the first half to a team as bad as Vanderbilt is not acceptable. And for that, the highest possible grade, 
I could have given this defense as a B. You know, it's like uh, it's like you take a class in college and the, the class constitutes of two exams. You get a D on the final or you get a D on the midterm. You sure better hope you get an A on the, on the final or you're screwed in that class. So the defense did that. They probably ended up with maybe a C minus or, or a D plus the first half. Um, and they come in and they get a day the second half. So, yeah, give them a B. Um, as far as special teams, like you, Neil, special teams is hard to grade. I typically look at if the special teams is not causing a problem, they're not going to get a terrible grade. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the key plays to the game, in fact, your play of the game was on special teams. So that has to count for something. With that said, I'm giving special teams an A-. minus. And as far as coaching, A+. Plus. A plus. I love the fire from Dan Ballin. I love it. Now, I sure hope that it, it, it continues through the rest of the season. I sure hope that it continues through the practices this week and in the meeting rooms, um, even the meetings that are happening as we speak right now. I mean, as we're recording the podcast, the coaches are all hanging out in the, in the inner bowels of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, uh, developing a game plan to – go on the road and beat LSU. So, yeah, they get an A+. But that A+, only matters if they can continue to get an A+, in coaching. And really, I want to I amend that by saying this. Dan Mullen gets an A+. There was coaches all over the field or, or all over that sideline that coached subpar in that game, especially in that first half. So, I do want to see improvement for them. Now, if you now the way I do it, I know you're a little different, but the way I do it is I'll take all my grades and I'll average it to a percentage. And the average is a B plus or about an 88% for the overall grade of the game. So, Neil, before we uh, call this to a close and adjourn for today, <laughs> um, is there anything you want to say? We better not lose to LSU twice in a row, or three times in a row, I should say. Um, but, I mean, twice in a row is a monster favorite. Um, that, that game is going to tell us everything we need to know about Dan Mullen, not just this year, but for the future. Because it, it would be very easy for Dan Mullen to lose his mind on Taylor Davis in the halftime interview there for 30 seconds to put on a nice show for the Gator fans who maybe want a little, little blood from him in a game that everybody knows he's going to win one way or another. Uh, let's see if it sticks that way. Let's see if he carries that energy and that fire into the week against a team that really shattered his season last year. I mean, it turned out in retrospect not to because Florida didn't really fall at all in the CFP rankings. And if they'd beaten Alabama, they would have gone to the CFP anyway. But I mean, we didn't know that that was going to happen. So at the time it was a devastating loss to us and it was a loss that we should have avoided one way or another. So let's see if Bolin can return the favor to Ed Orgeron and sort of ring the death knell for his tenure in Baton Rouge, that'd be you know pretty sweet. But more importantly, let's see if we can take that Dan Mullen that we saw at halftime and in the second half, lock it up in a bottle and just preserve it forever. Next week is going to tell us a lot about how likely that that is to be a reality or not. Yeah, Neil. And to know again, this game is, is about Vanderbilt. We, this, this podcast 
you know, we recap the game against Vanderbilt. But I look at this uh, this conclusion for this episode as a transition point. And, you know, maybe you're listening to this later in the week alongside our pregame pod for the LSU game. And let, let this be kind of a, let this be kind of um, a segue into that. It's no secret. I hate LSU. I hate them with every fiber of my being. And some of my worst experiences as a Gator fan have been at the hands of a defeat um, by the Tigers against the Gators. Um, now's not the time, but I could go back in, into all these different games and pull out, okay, this is what happened there, that's what happened there. But it suffices to say this. This is a game that the Gators must win. They have to win, not only for the sake of the program and not only for the sake of the direction of this team the rest of this particular season, but for a fan base that has grown tired of getting defeated by LSU. I mean, the most recent one was, of course, the famous LSU. I'm tired of it, Neil. So... We'll get to it. Wedding, wedding y'all's appetite for the fire that's going to be brought in, in our in our pregame pod for the LSU game. Um, but hey, with that said, I want to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to the in all kinds of weather forecast. We certainly are thankful for your listenership. And um, if you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a five-star rating and a nice review on whatever platform you choose to listen to this on with that said not quite going to give my uh, my famous go gators but i will say this go gators be safe um enjoy the week uh come up with with some um lsu hate jokes throw them on twitter tag us iakow forecast if you're not already following us follow us first tag us in some of your favorite lsu jokes memes, gifs, gifs, whatever you want to call it, do it. Um, deal? Go Gators in all kinds of weather. We will all stick together. Let us hope that the weather next week is sunny and bright in Gainesville and dark and stormy in Red Stick. Beat the Tigers and let's get some payback. <laughs>